Good morning. My name is Michael Hall. I'm the pastor here at Sandoval and Boulder United Methodist Parish. want to welcome you to our worship service today. In terms of announcements, we don't have a lot, but those of you who are members on the Sandoval uh, Church, Char- uh, Church Council, um, th- uh, you may be thinking we have a board meeting coming up, and normally we would on the second Tuesday of September. But due to a lack of items that need to be voted on, we've opted to cancel that meeting for now just because it would be unnecessary. With that being said, those of you who are PPR members for Sandoval and Boulder United Methodist Churches, um, I will be trying to reach out to you here soon. We need to have a PPR meeting probably by the end of September or the beginning of October at the latest because we need to vote on some things uh, in regards to the upcoming charge conference. Um, So I will be reaching out to those individuals who are on that committee, um, and that will be a joint PPR meeting between Boulder and Sandoval uh, both. But currently I would like to aim for around the last week of September, so we will try to iron out exactly when between now and then. Um, We may need to have an impromptu board meeting sometime in late October. We will see. But uh, that being set aside, the next official church council meeting will be the second Tuesday in November. And that will be just before the charge conference. So that is really the only announcement that I have at this time. So let's open with a word of prayer today. Gracious and holy God, as we come together both in person and those who are taking part in worship through live stream, Lord, we just pray that you would guide us and direct us in our worship. We pray that your Holy Spirit be with all who are gathered to worship today, both near and far, that you would work through us to be drawn to you. As we learn more about the spirit and mind of your gracious Son, Jesus, We pray that you would help us to be remade into his image, that we might shine his light in the world. Give us hearts with grace and love like your son had, that we might be able to show your love to others. Lord, we pray as we worship here today that you would forgive us of our failings. Take us and shape us into the image of your son. Help us to be more like your son. We ask, gracious God, as we worship here today, that you would be with all who are in need of healing and all who are sick. And we just pray that you continue to keep us safe. Let your spirit speak to us and that these will be your words for us to learn from today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Our call to worship on this Labor Day Sunday. Let us lift up all people who labor, either for pay or as volunteers at home or in the workplace, here at home and all around the world. Thanks be to God.
As we come to our time this morning of lifting up to God our joys and our concerns, I want to invite all of those who are worshiping along with us on Facebook Live to take this as a time to uh, come to God knowing that He hears your prayers. This morning as we gathered, we lifted up those concerns that, uh, that we had upon our hearts in person. And I want this to be a time for all those who are worshiping, both those who are here in person and who are worshiping by distance, to be able to know that we serve a God who cares about His people and that we can bring our concerns to Him. So as we sing this next song, let this be a time of centering and bringing yourselves into the presence of a loving God who cares for His people. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we come to you today, your thankful people, that we can come and worship in your house this day, that we can be drawn to you knowing that you hear our prayers. Father God, we come to you thankful for the joy of your creation and the beauty in the world that you have made. Lord, we pray for all of those who work and those who want to be working at this time. Lord, in this year that we are having, we find ourselves more thankful and grateful for the work that we have and praying for those who do not have work. 
we just lift them up to you, Lord, and we pray that you would take care of their needs. And Lord, we just look forward to the day when we can move on from the difficulties of these times. Father God, we come to you praying for your healing for those who are sick, both in mind, body, and spirit. We pray, Lord, for those who are dealing with grief, Lord, that you would touch them and bring them your comfort. Lord, we come to you asking for your forgiveness, for all of us are broken and in need of healing. We have not loved as you have called us to love, and we pray that you give us hearts like your son Jesus, that we might be drawn to you and love you above all things and love all people. Gracious God, we come to you praying for our doctors and our nurses, our military and our law enforcement, our peacekeepers, our peacemakers, and our healers. We pray, Lord, for all who serve. We pray that you guide, direct, and protect them. But most especially, let them know that they are never alone, but that you are with them. And we pray for all who serve and seek to heal, but especially the friends and family of these churches. We lift them up to you. Gracious God, we pray for our leaders in government, that you would give them wisdom from on high. Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct them, that your will would be done in this world. And most of all, Lord, we look forward to that great day when your kingdom shall be made on earth as it is in heaven. And most of all today, Lord, we pray for those that do not know you. We pray that you would use us as your ministers to share your love with them, that all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Father God, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you this day, and we lay them down at your feet in the name of your Son, Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, we continue to pray to you this day the prayer that your Son, Jesus, taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
We have several scriptures that we're going to read today, and I'm actually adding one in addition to what we read out at Boulder this morning. But I want us to begin reading what I call the Jesus Creed in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Paul wrote and said, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And the key verse that we'll focus on there today is uh, the second half of verse 7. It says, and it says that he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to death. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And I want to read from the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 beginning with verse 26. Luke the physician wrote and said, As they led Jesus away, a man named, named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cr cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs who have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains fall on us, and plead with the hills bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. 
The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. With those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd came to see the crucifixion, saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching. And lastly, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. says, Jesus said these things. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory, and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Those of you who are new to following our worship services will not know uh, any about any of these uh, sermons that I've preached, but if you're curious about them, um, before we went on Facebook Live, I do have a podcast that you can usually find on my personal Facebook page. I try to post it to the Sand Oval page as well, but um, we have been doing audio recordings for a podcast for um, probably about the last two years. So if you're curious about any of these, feel free to go back and listen to some of our older messages. But probably about a year ago now at this point, I wrote this when it was more like six months ago, but uh, it's been about a year now, I preached a series on what a Bible scholar that I am a student of, his name's Tom Wright, refers to as the dark powers. Those are the spiritual forces that we are at war with and that compete for our worship and our loyalty that only God deserves. Those of you who remember those messages that I gave may remember that you can really sum up all, just about, all sin and all idolatry because if you really look at sin, all sins have their root in idolatry, worshiping something other than God in your life, placing something else in your life as more important than God. And quite frankly, all the things that are bad in our world can really be summed up with this. That it comes down to worship of either wealth, sex, or power. Now again, those of you who were present for my messages in that series, you may also remember that these false gods are not inherently evil because all of these things, when they are in their proper context, are good gifts from God. Only when they achieve the status of acting as gods in our lives do they become bad. Only when we allow the, them 
to take the place that God alone deserves in our lives do they become bad. And lastly, you may remember that there was a fourth false god that we talked about that is altogether evil, and that is death. And so for those of you who are following us on Facebook Live, I will quit referring back to old messages of mine and move on from here. Because that brings us to the point that I want to make, and that is that death is the ultimate representative of the power of sin. Sin is the broken state between God and man that was caused by us. Sin is much more than any individual bad actions or mistakes on our part. Sin is described in the book of Genesis as a beast that is crouching, ready to devour us. Sin is a thing that seeks to destroy our humanity and make us into less than human. Sin is the great weapon of the Satan who seeks to destroy God's beloved children. There is a group out of the West Coast that does uh, animated short videos, and Chloe's seen some of them now. We've got one of our, uh, our young people that's in confirmation right now here today, and uh, they're called The Bible Project. And I'm particularly uh, fond of, of some of the videos that they put together. And they did a video talking about the devil. And they explained that what we have to understand about sin and Satan is that Satan does not necessarily have any agenda whatsoever. He's not for anything. He is against everything. His entire goal is to destroy everything that God made, in particular God's children because we are made in God's image. So it's not so much that Satan has any particular plan for what he's wanting to achieve. It's quite simply just the destruction of everything because he is at war with God. As God's plan of salvation is beginning to take form in the person of Jesus, who, as we have discussed up to this point, is the very essence of God poured into the form of human flesh, there is going to have to be a great confrontation between the ultimate form of the false gods, death, who is ruled by the devil, and the Lord's Christ. There's going to be a conflict between Christ and death itself. It will be the fight of all fights, and it will stand as the pivotal moment in human history and it is going to run counter to everything that we think we know about winning battles. In order to understand Jesus going to the cross, we have to understand why he went to the cross. Paul, in his letters, explains that the wages of sin is death. One of the great problems that we as Christians have had over the years is sometimes we have made the false uh, step of thinking of, of God as standing high in the heavens just waiting to crush and destroy those who go against him. That is not what Paul means by the wages of sin being death. What we mean by the wages of sin being death is that God is the giver of all life. 
And God loves his children, but he is also holy. And that which we call sin, anything where we place something of importance higher than we place the importance of God in our lives creates a, a divide between us and the giver of life. When we come to a point in our lives where we place something higher than our allegiance to God, we lose our connection to the one who gives life. And by that, we understand better the meaning of the saying, the wages of sin is death. When we make decisions that alienate God and place something, of greater something in a place of greater importance than God, then we invite the penalty of sin upon us. We put ourselves in a position we are set where we are separated from the giver of life. C.S. Lewis, and I mentioned this before, likes to refer to hell as a prison that is locked not from the outside, but from the inside. We are the ones who make the decision whether or not we will follow God or whether we will allow other things to take the place of God in our lives. And as a result of this, and because all of us are broken in some way, all of humanity stands under that sentence of death. Jesus is the one human being who is exempt. He is the one human being that lived a sinless life. He is the one human being that lived up to the calling of humanity from the very beginning, from the first few chapters of Genesis, for human beings to be stewards of the creation, to love each other, to love the creation, and to do the Father's will. He is sinless. And in a great twist of irony, it is going to be the one human being who actually lived up to the covenant to do everything that God had made humans to do, who is going to end up dying and suffering the punishment that everyone else deserved. A human approach <clears throat> to defeating any enemy is to destroy it. But as I mentioned earlier, death by definition is destruction. The goal of the enemy isn't to try to change the creation into something else, but he wants nothing less than just to destroy everything that God loves. Think of it like this. If someone is a killer and you go and kill them, you now have become a killer. You cannot kill it without embracing the evil of it yourself. The great paradox of the gospel and that Paul sums up here in the book of Philippians is that the God who is omnipotent and almighty and all loving, who created all things, who can do all things, who is above all things, is going to submit to death. And not just any death, but the worst kind of death. Death on a cross. The cross of Jesus is repugnant to many because it confronts us with our sin. The, the gory death that Jesus died on the cross, the horror of it, and the fact that we know that it was an innocent man that died this death, the centurion standing by that day even admitted this was an innocent man. 
The fact that an innocent man died in a way that only the guilty, who we all are guilty, deserve, confronts us with our sin, the grossness of our sin, the destruction of our sin, the pain that our sin causes ourselves and others. We realize that the cross would not happen if there wasn't evil in the world and in all human hearts. No one could devise of something as terrible as crucifixion without having evil in their hearts. And this, I believe, as the Reverend Billy Graham did, is the real reason why atheists hate Christianity above all other faiths is because it confronts us with our brokenness. We do not want to be reminded of our brokenness and we do not want to be confronted with the thought of I deserved that but the one who didn't deserve it took my place. We don't want to hear that. But it is also offers us our only salvation. Because at the cross, Jesus defeats sin, not by fighting it, but by letting it do its worst and yet still loving those who did it to him. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. To the thief who was on the cross next to him, who in other gospels we understand had previously been cursing Jesus, comes and begs Jesus to remember him. And Jesus' response to him was, Today you will be with me in paradise. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, when he gives up his last breath, says, It is accomplished, meaning I have done it. I came, I saw, I conquered. The paradox of the cross is that through submitting to its unjust death and punishment, Jesus laid bare and naked the dark powers in all of their shame and in all of their weakness. We look at what was done to Jesus, and because Jesus could forgive them, we aren't afraid anymore of those who can deal out death. We aren't afraid of the pilots. We aren't afraid of the Caiaphases. We aren't afraid of the Caesars. Instead, because Jesus went and died with nothing but grace and mercy on his lips, we pity those who put him to death. We see them in all of their weakness. We see the Caesars of this world as so afraid of losing their power that they would become less than human to try to protect it. We finally see the man behind the curtain. And we find that he is in fact nothing. Jesus tears back the curtain on Satan, on sin and death. And in dying with grace and mercy, he is able to defeat them and the power that they once held. We see them as the pawns of the dark powers that they were. And in doing so, the dark powers have their power stripped from them. Jesus has victory. And through his death 
and we are given victory through his death for us because Jesus was faithful to the plan that he and his Father had made with the power of the Holy Spirit between them from the beginning. Jesus endured that which we couldn't so that we would never have to. And next week, we will continue our look at Jesus and the Jesus Creed and see why it's not in spite of his death on the cross, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, that his is without a doubt the name that is above all other names. Amen.